I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just gatekeep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the helm have lied to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Guys, it's my busiest time of the year. Uh, I'm coaching my son's Little League team in addition to his summer travel ball team. So both of those are uh, have taken effect as of this week. So needless to say, I don't have a ton of free time to do the normal research that I do and and, and put out shows for you all. So what I wanted to do was give you a little uh, a little bonus. My patrons have already gotten this. I had the honor of being on Dave Zed's Generation Z podcast back in February, and we did a three-part series on not only uh, ley lines, sacred geometry, things like that, and uh, Matthew Smith also joined in. So uh, over the next two weeks, I'm going to drop those three for you uh, here as kind of a perk in the meantime, since I have not been able to share with you all this uh very much i just don't have there's not enough hours in the day so but with that said i still want to thank not only my patrons but those of you who leave a review so we got two new reviews one from chat gpt a five-star review a new favorite so glad i found these guys i finally look forward to mondays chat gpt thank you brother i appreciate it uh i hate to miss i hate to gender you there but uh it is what it is. Um, and let me pull up the other one here. We got another one, which I, 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 guys, and I can't thank you enough for these because honestly, they are what keeps the show in the algorithm. It gets us the uh, more views to more years and it, it doesn't take much effort. And I, I, I truly appreciate it. So this one is from Peace in the USA, 1979. You are, uh, you still are rocking my socks. Still love the show. Don't stop what you're doing. Also, I love Monday Master Debaters. But, you know, every time I hear y'all's name, I think Monday Masturbators. 
hey, it's funny, he he. Well, that's basically the point of it, right? It's kind of a play on words. We are basically masturbators spitting out uh, truth and knowledge and and our perspective on things. So I I, I truly appreciate that. Um, and yeah, it is supposed to be fun. And guys, this is the new Monday Night Master Debater shirt. Let me get you here in full screen. And what we have here is thanks to Ryan Dean, this badass design here. And we got the Monday Night Master Debaters every Monday, nine, nine o'clock. Five raccoons versus a bear. Who will win? Choose your side. It's kind of one of those uh, old school, like, I'm big into wrestling. So the WWE posters and things like that when I was a kid. And uh, so Ryan, thank you so much. Anyone that wants it, the link is down below to the Teespring. And, uh, and honestly, these, these, uh, this, there's three different logos. There's this one, which is red and yellow. There's one that's red, white, and blue. And then there's one that's more of a, uh, I forgot what I called it, like a psychedelic one. It's like pinkish fluorescent colors. So I, uh, this one, I love, man, I've been wearing it now. This is probably the second day I've worn it. I did wash it by the way. Um, but so yeah, you can get that down below. Uh, the other thing, my patrons guys, I can't thank you enough for donating to the show. You all mean the world to me and, uh, and, and I really appreciate your support. So I want to thank the newest patrons and we have a few. I want to thank Leslie. Leslie's been a patron from the beginning and, uh, and, and she was kind enough to, um, join back on. We have Maggie Jones, Maggie, thank you so much. Uh, we have Christopher Dean. Thank you. We have, uh, Melina. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, Britain. And then in addition to that, my buddy Francis also hopped on the patron bandwagon. So all you guys uh, that are on the patron uh, uh, Patreon site, you we will have our monthly call uh, probably a week from Sunday, which will be May 21st, I believe, uh, is what we're going to shoot for. I, I, I want to switch it up a little bit, see if maybe we can get some, some other folks in, um, in addition to the regulars, because it's just such a fun uh, conversation that we have. And I'd like to see if we can get some more people in there. And I may even do uh, a two if I can find the time. Again, this is busy as can be. We I had baseball six days last week for my son. Uh, the only day I didn't was Monday and I had Monday at Master Debaters. And then going forward, it's going to be uh, about four or five days a week. So uh, I may be able to sneak in an extra uh, patron Zoom call if I have the time. And and I, like I said, guys, I really appreciate your support and uh, sticking with me through this time because it's, it's been a, it's been an emotional week. Um, had some personal stuff going on and, and things like that. So uh, I thank you all for the support. I really hope you enjoy these episodes. Like I said, this is going to be a three-part series. Dave said was kind enough to have me on his show. And uh, I, I think everybody needs to hear this stuff. It's really great information along the lines of um, sacred geometry, ley lines, free energy potentials, and things like that. And, uh, and and our buddy Matthew Smith hops on, and it's always a blast talking with these guys. So I highly recommend you go te check out uh, Dave Zed's podcast, uh, Generation Zed, uh, and his Patreon. You go check out Brandon Thomas and his amazing work that he does over at Expanding Reality. 
His podcast is is off the charts. He has great guests. It's mind-blowing stuff he talks about. And then uh, Matthew Smith over on YouTube at uh, uh, Marvelous Old World. So I really recommend you guys check them out. You can check out their Instagram pages also. All the links are below. Um, like I said, some new merch here. I hope you enjoy it. And guys, I really hope you enjoy the show. Specifically, the members so. pertaining to a great friend of the show, Matt from the Great Deception podcast. He had come on, I believe, about this time last year, um, a couple times over to do some in- incredible presentations pertaining to star forts and the potential connections to ley lines and all of this. And so I do want to say that because we have um, some new members on our end, if you would like to, Matt, introduce yourself um, and then we'll see how, uh, we'll ask how Brandon is doing, then we'll get right into it, so. Yeah, thanks, Dave, for having me. Uh, I'm Matt from the Great Deception Podcast. Um, I do basically a a historical uh, podcast looking at alternative history, um, anything from world fairs to destruction. I focus mainly in the 18 hundreds um nice but i also dig into the old world um I, i've looked a lot into you know the tartaria thing um and and that research and i, I love everything history re- related man it's just one of those things I, we we've done star forts here um I'm, I'm in a little architecture kick right now so that's what i'm gonna kind of throw out tonight um, but I also have a, a Monday night round table that I host called the Monday night master debaters. And that's kind of just a, a fun get together where I have three to four podcasters on. And we just talk about anything from current events to, to sports, to aliens, you know, any, anything in between it's, it's just fun. So thank you for having uh, me back. Thank you for coming on. That's incredible. And of course, um, he needs no introduction, but I would love to give him one. So Brandon, how are you, brother? My man, good to see you. Good to see you, Matt, dude. And I've been on your uh, Monday night thing a couple times, man. And that was a blast, dude. You you just know some of the coolest people and it, it goes in any way and it's very open and it's a lot of fun. And then Matt, of course, your research. And yeah, we've done the Star Forts and Dave, of course, you need no damn introduction, you beautiful son of a bitch. But this is going to be <laughs> awesome, man. I'm so pumped about this, gentlemen. Uh, I'm super excited. So hell yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm thinking I'll leave the questions to more to the middle to the end of of your presentation, Matt. Um, The floor is yours. I'm not sure if there's anything specifically you wanted to dive into. I think there was, but please. Well, I brought a little presentation. I'm I'm a very visual learner. So uh, tonight, I kind of wanted to get into what I've been looking into lately is is ley lines and and sacred geography as well as uh, sacred geometry and how that ties to architecture. And then unbeknownst to me in the last week, because of what happened in Turkey and Syria with the earthquakes, uh, I started looking into Harp a little bit and they that their locations tie into some of the ley lines as well. So we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit. So this is this is going to be a fun one. Feel free to interrupt at any time. Stop me. Ask questions. I'm going to just kind of roll through this. And uh, if anyone has any questions, stop me. So I, I wanted to start with what we call sacred geography. And, and this is, um, you know, when you think about it, guys, when you go into church, there's this aura or this feeling that takes over, um, whether it's induced by the architecture whether it's induced by the organs and the frequencies that that's emitting, um, the choirs, things like that. So we know that there's something out there. Well, why can't that be in the geography as well? So when we say sacred geography, we mean um, 
it's sacred spaces that are located at various points all over the world. Um, they have certain geographical features and they tend to find structures on them that are repeatedly built over and over again. And one of the things that we see with these sites is that there's like a sacred code that are uh, for unknown reasons, right? It's, it's almost like it's passed on from generation to generation as to why these sites are sacred. It's not written down a whole lot. So you're not going to find it in texts. It's more of a verbal history. And that's where you, you have trouble with this because you have to open your mind and get out of the little box of what we've been taught through our indoctrination system. Can I ask Matt, it's all, is it almost as if the geography of these places has been for some reason very well kept and almost as if building things around certain points have been the same, have been consistent for hundreds of years? Yes. Okay. And across civilizations, you'll see civiliz civilization after civilization rebuild on the same land. And it's it's not necessarily because that's the most ideal location, you know, physically, but there's something more to it, it seems. And, and what we also find is that there's almost a, a network of these, like we saw with the star forts, right? If you, if you look at the star forts, many of them were around the perimeter. There weren't a ton of them inland later on, but what we'll get into in this presentation here is that I, I went back to the 15, uh, early 1600s, and I found that most cities back then, major cities, you know, we're talking Jerusalem, Naples, um, ac across the Middle East and, and Europe were star forts. So it, it's one of these things where these things start connecting. And one of the things that we spoke of last time when we mentioned star forts were ley lines. And these are another interesting subject because when we get into ley lines, what we start talking about is it's kind of, there's no way to prove them, right? There's no measurement that you can take to say, oh, this is a ley line. And these were, are where the ley lines go. But what these are, and in 1870, there was a guy named William Henry Black, who's pictured here. And he said that there were monuments uh, monuments exist marking grand geometrical lines, which cover the whole of Western Europe. So he started noticing these lines and that with those lines, there were either hills, there were uh, significant structures, uh, waterways, things like this that would have energetic value. So then in 1921, Alfred Watkins comes along and he's supposedly just walking, you know, out in the British hills and he all of a sudden it just hits him that, oh, there must be these ley lines because there's all these things that are lining up on these certain points. Like we, we just I mentioned. wonder, Matt, if I may jump in very quickly, if the Earth's heartbeat or the Schumann resonance tends to propagate in more of a, an energy like vortex, as I was reading the last sentence here. Oh, it propagates its energy more, um, we could say, efficiently when at these ley lines, so to speak, very similar to a, a person breathing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And one of the things that we'll get into is that when I uh, there's a book called The Sacred Network by Chris Hardy. And what she she gets into, she says that there's basically a ground current, right, a telluric energy. And then there's an uh, atmospheric current, which is, you know, ether. 
and that those two work in conjunction with the ley lines, with maybe some of the structures and architecture, and they form an energetic grid, a natural energetic grid. And so what, what their contention is, is that a lot of these ancient structures that were built on this were not only built there strategically, they were built to harness energy, whether it was energy for the human, whether, you know, it could be free energy, you know, when you think electric energy from that standpoint, but similar to how Edward Ed Lascallon said he had to go to a particular part of Florida to build his coral castle. Right. Yeah. He moved yeah. The bitch in the middle of the night by himself. Right. Right. And that's what I start. I start look when I look at this stuff, you start looking at the energy and it's, you know, when you look into the ley lines, it's basically just magnetism and frequency. So it's not that far fetched of a concept when you start digging into it a little bit more, because we know that this realm that we're in is very energetic. Everything is energy. But what we're seeing here are these, you know, like it says here, um, they're crisscross patterns around the globe, like latitudinal, longitudinal lines that are dotted with monuments and natural landforms. Okay. And they ca carry along with them the rivers of supernatural energy. Along these lines, at the places they intersect, there are pockets of concentrated energy that can be harnessed by certain individuals. It's theorized a uh, grid of energy lines that apparently surround the earth. The points on the grid may contain many of what are considered the Earth's most sacred sites. So, and that's what these two uh, examples are showing, the lat uh, latitudinal and longitudinal lines that go across. Now, as we get deeper into this, what we see here is what Chris Hardy deems, um, this is an obelisk, right? In the middle here, this middle section is the obelisk. Now, what she's saying is down below, you're going to have a cave or a substructure, it may even be a river that runs underneath. And what that's going to take is that ground, that telluric energy, and act as a, a uh, transistor, right? And it's going to push it, and it's going to go up the obelisk, and it's going to meet with the etheric, etheric energy at the top. So it, it kind of gets into that, and that's why I put this clip over here, as above, so below. It kind of gets into that concept of, it's the two poles, right? There's a positive and negative. And here you're going to have the ground energy and the etheric energy. And they said they put together a sacred geometry, a set of mathematical ratios and proportions. They believe that these ratios, if used in the sound of music and the architecture of buildings, would resonate with the life forces of the universe and thus enhance life. Through this resonance, we could at will have our single notes increased in power. Thus, we could harmonize and heal ourselves and tune in to the energies of the planet to our natural powers. Everything in our universe is in a state of vibration. The ratio, if I may say, is is the ratio is building on the two to one ratio. The uh, the I, I in my opinion, the what we're seeing at the bottom of this structure here would be um uh some type of vortex to cool the resonant frequencies or the resonant energies and then it'll build back up again huh. oh that's great that's just my opinion and that's why no that's why i wanted to bring this to you i love your opinion and interpretation in this stuff because your mind works a whole different way than <laughs> mine does so that's why I, I thought this would be a great spot for this thank you 
So when Chris Hardy talks about this telluric energy, again, this is the ground. She says that uh, giant telluric waves undulating vertically and linked to the uh, geomagnetic field of the earth create a network of crisscrossing lines all around the earth. So the energy of the cosmos is released into the sacred buildings through the channeling of the cosmic rays linked to the stars. A bit of a stretch, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's interesting the way she looks at it. In my opinion, I would I would strong I would very strongly agree with her. Similar to like plucking a string on a harp and then letting it vibrate all the way down. Okay. So it was some type of tether between, say, the the planets and the stars and us locally. That would be sort of it's called um it's called a killer vector named after a guy's last name who was killer, which is basically the closer you get to it or the farther away you get from it. As long as you stay within that two to one ratio proportionality constant, you're not changing the distance of where you're going, but you're changing the resonance. So, you know, because this makes sense if you're stretching a tape measure across a wall and you're off by a few like a foot you're going to be off. You're like, no, 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 it's straight across. But if it's not straight across, then you're going to be adding inches to it. So you'd be stretching along the resonance, but not gaining any latitude. Is that what we're And sometimes about? you want that, that shift to happen, depending on what you're trying to use the energy for. If it's for propulsion, you want the shift to happen. Just like bending a note on a guitar. There's multiple ways to play a note on a guitar or to yeah. get to another note. You could slide, you can hammer, you can pull, you could bend. You know, there's many different ways to achieve the next step. That's really interesting. Let me ask for one quick question. Do you guys think that this is that the reason that things are built and structures are like that because we're naturally drawn to these areas, sort of like how um, animals are drawn annually to migrate a certain way or pattern or something like that? Like, is it in humans to build and to follow these lines and to harness the energy of them sort of innately? I would, Matt, did you want to jump in or? I would tend to believe, yes. I think there's a magnetism to these lines. I think okay. there's a, a, a natural frequency that, a, a tra that when you're around these lines, you are in a, a much higher state, right? You're in a, a balanced state. Whereas the further you get away from these lines, you're not as connected. You know, I see it as almost like a grounding. Yes. I would fully agree. I would say uh, to take it even to add to, to build onto the shoulders of both of you guys, what you said, if you look at the human biofield, it is it, the human biofield is naturally emitting the same geometries that these that Matt is showing us here. So just like a magnet, when you take one magnet, bring it closer to another, there's that constant magnification of attraction. Same thing with with humans. I think what we're experiencing here is just a much larger version of what we are already. And that's a toroidal field. I mean, right. it's just a push yeah. pull of a magnet. It's a push of experience and a pull of new possibilities it's and potentialities. It's manipulating uh, what's called uh, then I'm then I'll stop rambling uh, epsilon mu so the electric permittivity and the magnetic permeability Fuck. basically what a cool sentence will you just say that one more time yeah uh you're manipul oh well actually I'll even take it one step further you're manipulating epsilon and mu those are Greek symbols in if used in quantum physics and it stands for electric permittivity uh, epsilon and then mu is magnetic permeability essentially so the just like the the male and female reproductive organs for example the male has more of a direct direction and then the female has more of an encompassing enclosure of whatever you're, you're doing essentially now if you take epsilon and mu multiply the two together take the square root of, of that result and then invert the square rooted result that's your speed of light so there's a there there in my opinion anyways 
Outstanding. That's amazing. God, I love this shit. I love this shit. Oh. Wow. All right. So, yeah. So basically what the building's doing and what it says is these sacred buildings, it, it takes the telluric energy in its ascending flux along the field lines of the architecture, and then it anchors it in the stone, the wood, or the metal. And then it says most of that energy uh, that comes from the ground is going to flow upwards, you know, through the walls, the arches, the, all the way up to the dome or the steeple. I'm thinking if, how did how did they discover this as early people? Did like Faye lead them? You know, is there a, a high activity of paranormal activity or orbs or lights or something in that area to where we're drawn to it like moths to a flame or like us looking at UFOs? We're like, ooh, that's pretty. And so we're drawn to it. it it's, or do you think that there was like mountains in the past? I'm sure there are tons of them, like hills and mountains, like you said. And they probably found some of the stone there that was in that spot, did some crazy cool shit. And then you hewn stone and then build it in another spot that you find to be of magnetic or harmonic resonance to that with stone as well to mimic those properties. It's probably a bunch of like, let's just see if we can build a mountain over here on this other spot we know does this cool shit and take advantage of it. It's interesting, man. You'll yeah, notice. And, with, and oh. what you find with the architecture too is that it's all based in sacred geometry. Yeah. So when you when you get into that, I mean, that's everything in our realm is and is we, based on sacred geometry when you boil down to it so it's just about how ugly this fucking place is and how unappealing it is and how it does nothing for your psyche and it's just damaging everything but how older buildings and you focus a lot on this matt you do a great job on this we're built with that yeah. sacred geometry not in mind but as a core principle and it had massive benefits not only you know as a building and it didn't fall down easily but it kept the rain off your heads but really as far as the energy propagation for the populace in that area and plus, it's gorgeous, man. There's so much to be said about something being aesthetically pleasing here. It, it's like that quote from The Matrix with Mouse. They're sitting in that room. They're eating the slop. You know, Morpheus just got there. He's like, what the fuck's going on? But then they're eating it, and uh, Dozer is explaining that it has amino acids. It's got all this. It's got everything the body needs. And where I love this part is where Mouse disagrees because he said it doesn't have everything the body needs, meaning like meaning or art or beauty. It doesn't have something aesthetically pleasing for us. Therefore, it's you know it's it's having a psychological impact on you that's not beneficial at all and sometimes damaging. Like when you see all the buildings, like I've been to China, man, the way they stack people in those fucking buildings like that that have no beauty to them. I mean, they're cool in their own way. And over here, we got that as well. These huge buildings that are just concrete. It's just odd, but taking advantage of the sacred geometry, man, that's gorgeous. I'm glad you've been focusing on the architecture, dude. I uh, I don't know. I, I can't say, obviously, how or I mean, my guess is as good as anybody else's in terms of how they discovered this, what, you know, our ancestors or whatever. But one thing that I am of the opinion of is that um, I think a good chunk of these cultures pertaining to the arches and the arcs were modeling off of nature itself in the sense that. And you can ask an electrical engineer this, that if you um, if you spark an electrical charge that's large enough across a, a particular distance in space time, the electrical charge will naturally arc. Hmm. So I think what they were doing was basically uh, whenever something was enabled, allowing those arcs and arches that they had built from stone to then essentially act as sort of a nesting point to then amplify whatever vortex potentially was being used. But uh, anyways... Has has that been measured in arches like natural like arches national monument or anything in natural rock formation arches? Has that property been measured? 
Uh, I can, I don't, that I don't know, but what I can tell you is that in terms of that concept, that is now what is called angular momentum in quantum physics. Yeah. Okay. So interesting, man. I'm just jotting that down because that's something I want to look into. That's amazing. Oh, no problem. Because that's what you see, right? Is these, um, these arches. arches. And, yeah, and sure. it's funny you mentioned that because I was just before this, uh, conversation i was watching a, a documentary on uh old mississippi in the st louis area and they were talking about the arch and how it was possible that the original arch actually stretched from one side of the river to the other and that what we're dealing it wouldn't with surprise now me is just a replica but that even that said the spot that it's on has some significant energetic value or purpose it speaks also to the Ark of the Covenant. I know that's a bold statement, but yep. the, the idea of that box basically having four electrical arcs in them, essentially. So, I mean, and yeah. Ooh. All right. What are we looking at here, Matt? So this is this is the second form, which she calls the cosmic energy, or, you know, we call it ether. Um, and, and so she says the second major inflow of energy received by a temple is the one that comes from the cosmos. The spire is a natural antenna and it attracts some of the most mysterious energy from the stars. Currents of energy arrive from the cosmos and descend following the steeple, spire or towers or along the dome or the arches. They follow the architecture until they plunge into the ground where the energy charges the crypts and the earth beneath the buildings, which would explain why they tend to have a water source underneath these buildings because it comes down it charges it it energizes and then like we saw before it's going to come back up and it's almost like a perfect system right there and you know this i think this uh diagram you know picture here is a little exaggerated but at the same time it gives you the concept of what's happening I think this speaks to as well, a uh, beautiful picture and description to even when trees grow, for example, branches, there's this constant, uh, we could say, set of infinite electrical potential within the ether, but the branches choose to grow in a direction that's just electrically strongest and magnetically the most confined, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. So the, the blueprint is somewhat preset, but it's not set in stone completely because of the variability of the ether. That, and the way they would grow would be just like the image here. So why then was this all for good power, bad power? Was it depending on what you did with it power? It was just indifferent power? Uh, as I understand it, it just comes down to who's behind the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. I think it boils down to intention, right? Yeah. And, and also it will, that's why we see when we look at these cathedrals, you see these rose windows. And for the most part, these are all, again, sacred geometric patterns that are going to emanate a positive frequency. Now, is it possible that within the walls, they could harness some sort of negative energy and emit that? Possible. But right. I think I think the original intention was yeah. for positivity. And, and it was, you know, there weren't hospitals back in the days. These were not only places of worship, they were healing centers, right? right. When people got sick. And we'll get into this. I think I have a slide here. They would go down into the crypts and stay down in there and drink the water from down below until they were healthy. And then they would come back to society. 
So there are, there are people who have developed certain, we could say, cancer curing devices in the last literally 10 years that they've built in their homes and all that. Um, I have to watch my words here a bit, but basically it looked very similar to this image. And all they did was take the device and place it in the room in which they were going to be in the most often. And within two, three weeks, their cancer cells were all zapped away. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, and I, I, I think it's possible. I think with frequency, I think that's what a lot of disease is. It's just your, your frequency is out of balance. And I think that we can, you know, cause we're constantly bombarded by waves all day. You know, we don't I'll do, even... I'll do you one better. I, I got, I got footage from world war two of the devices they had that of them curing people in real time. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's interesting that you said the rose too, and and that uh, the original intention was to heal. Uh, this is interesting because the rose is the highest frequency physical object in reality. It's at five hundred and twenty-eight hertz, which is what your the heart chakra heals at, right? And so that's like the hertz range of this thing. And it's the highest vibe physical object. So it's interesting that they use that. It's not just a pretty thing; it's a vibrational thing as well. And so that would be a symbol for healing. Yeah. That's great. Now this, I wanted to bounce this off you guys, because this is my, my buddy, Matthew Smith. He, uh, he has a podcast called old world or the marvelous old world. And he's an architect, uh, originally from out East, but he's out in Washington now. And he came up with this little drawing here. And I love this. This is one of my favorite, like kind of concepts behind these cathedrals. And his idea is he says, the premise is that the dielectromagnetic toroid is somehow the ether manifests. Plasma, which is 99% of matter, is fully scalable from macro to micro so that galaxies have toroidal electromagnetic field feeding the sun's electromagnetic field, feeding the earth's electromagnetic field, and so on down to the trees naturally feeding an apple's electromagnetic field because they are placed into the ground. Whereas humans are not rooted, so we need divine intervention to keep our electromagnetic field, i.e. our soul, aligned with the cosmos, natural order, the kingdom of God, if you will, and that the sacred buildings help us to do that. He says, thus, a cathedral with its crystal structure and conductive materials recharges and realigns humans physically and spiritually because magnetic currents can create electricity, so we don't need combustion for the process to work. You need to do one of the biggest psyops is shoes. Did you know that? Oh, rubber soles. You know now, though, that they're making these grounding shoes. My wife uh, told me about some. Dude, I do this all the time naturally anyway, this grounding idea. I mowed this whole labyrinth. All, all y'all know about this. I go walk it barefoot daily, no matter what. You know, it sucks sometimes, but it's, it's, I do it all the time for this reason. So the idea that you pave everything over, cram everybody into cities and have them wear these rubber shoes and disconnect them from that, bombard them from a bunch of shit that grabs their attention constantly, keep them in a fear state, and then it disconnects from all these things. And then the cathedrals, you know, maybe they perform that way, maybe they don't, but there's a lot of other intentions it feels. When I look at that building, a lot of feelings come together, not just the building itself, but it's a beautiful image. But this idea, this disconnection, and so really all you have to do, like I said, is just ground. It's it's simple as shit. You just go stick your bare feet in the dirt, uh, grass, something like that, for a few minutes a day, and it'll kind of do this. And so it's also this interesting idea of, you know, we uh, some people call the uh, people in Peru or something um, primitive, but they're all running around barefoot, like living their shit, like their most connected energetic life. 
when all of this is technology, but it's all disconnection. You know what I mean? It's just interesting. I, I love this, man. Well, and, right, and it's know. it's funny. What do you have to do to get into a store? You have to have a shirt and shoes, right? Point. It wow. just doesn't make any sense. Why does what is on my feet matter if it's in a store or not? Like your your shoes don't carry any dirt or disease on them. Dude, I, I'm always bare, fucking always barefoot, bro. Like I have just shoes in the car and I, I get out and pump bare, gas barefoot, man. I'm such a hillbilly, but I absolutely love this. And I think it's more for the reason that we're talking about here. It's that I feel the disconnection. And yeah, if I'm walking through thorns and shit, I'm going to wear shoes. But you know what I mean? I still am mindful about making sure that I'm making contact with the ground. Well, and one of the other things that we've seen over the last 200 years is even on these sacred structures, what they'll do is they'll essentially castrate them by cutting off the steeples, you know, bringing them down, manipulating so that, you know, that sacred geometric pattern flow is no longer there. And I think that's a lot of what they've done, not only with the architecture, but they've done with the setup of society by pushing everyone into these cities, which is very unnatural. It's a it's a very disharmonizing frequency. And I think that that's the era that we're in. Like you mentioned before, Brandon, that we're disconnection. And that's what I think we are. I think we are a disconnected people currently. We're disconnected from the natural way of life. We're in this consumer materialistic mindset and nature is an afterthought. And I think that's why there's so much dis-ease. Again, I get back to that word. It just means your body's not at ease. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with you, so to speak. It means you need to find that trigger that will get your body back at ease. And, you know, and I hate to break it to you, but you're not going to get it in a bottle. Right. <laughs> you know? I agree. I agree. I, I've, I've stayed quiet because I, I, I can't say much about this from the science angle. So I'm just going to shut up. You might. Sometimes they send you weed in a bottle. Um, you might. You might be able to. Uh, okay. Yeah. I should have said in a pill form. Okay. Yes. Yes, sir. No. 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 I knew what you meant. It's Matt, bad. if I could say, please, next time you speak to your friend, the architect, please give, please give him uh, my my utmost respect for what he wrote there, because I. That's all I'm going to say. Why don't we get him on? Yeah. Why don't we call? Did what do you want to do one of these with this? For sure. Oh, he would. He, he's he's a brilliant mind. I'd love to get him on with you guys. Let's, well, after this or some, we'll, we're in touch. So we'll talk about it. Uh, plant that seed. But uh, this this picture is awesome, man. Yeah, this is this is from her book. Now, what this is, is in the center point is an obelisk. And what you see off of that obelisk are at these given points are structures that follow different lines. And what they're saying here is this is part of the natural grid. So. It's a network connecting the sacred buildings or stones that is not only anchored by the natural telluric grid, but it's also perfectly enmeshed, forming a seamless, balanced mandala. It's Does that through radius the... have to do with how tall the obelisk is in the middle? I don't is think that, that really out? makes a difference. Is that I a think it's going to be off of areas? that point. Do you think it's a standard set pattern in these areas or that that field comes out of that object no matter what the size, that distance and pattern and everything? Ooh, that's that's chicken or the egg right there. That's right. a good question because is it coming – is it because that obelisk is is the anchor point there? I think it's a combination of both. I think that they work in conjunction. I think you need the structures like we talked about as the anchor points, as the conductors – 
of these lines uh, um, of the ground. Yeah, remote control car is only as good as the batteries inside of it. Bingo. This is, this is inducing what's called conjugate momenta in, in something called loop quantum gravity. This entire situation, yeah, particularly the intersection of the two. And, and you get that vesica Pisces right in the middle. Also, yeah. the eye of Ra and Horus as well. Yes, depending yeah. which way they're looking, and right? Also, the also if you if you were to take two human biofields and overlap them a bit, you'd get that same as well. Because yeah. what you're having there is the zigzag of the DNA strand too. And Star of David, if you three um, D that, that is a Merkaba. Yes, and a hexagon as well too. If you remove the outs external the four vectors on the outside. Yep. What you then, or excuse me, uh, six vectors. Um, and then you'd have basically what a lot of craft look like as well, too. And the same shape that Otis T. Carr built his craft in that the FBI raided later. Wow. You know what it also looks like is a fucking star fort. Yep. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oof. And that's that. And we'll get into that again, too, because I brought some of those slides. But this, the natural grid thing, it, it, I don't know. And And so what we get into now are these different points. Right, that are act as the conductors or the the anchor points for these, and some of these are standing stones. Now, when you look at these, you're like, oh, it's just a stone. Some of these stones are up to twenty feet tall, and you know, six to eight feet wide. So these are massive stones. But then, what you'll also notice, you, you look at the pictures in the middle, you'll see these perfectly crafted holes that were drilled out or bored out. And what those do, those usually have some relation to the sun and, and are tied in with the solstice. And so you get that combination. It acts as, as an antenna again, absorbing it from the cosmos and then also taking it down from the telluric, the ground energy. They were also, in my opinion, they were also creating what we now call anti-gravity or gravitational field, particularly with the... Top left image, the center middle image at the top, and the bottom middle image that I really want to say more, but at the moment I can't. But yes, they were basically one of the things that I had built this time last year looks just like the one on the, the image on the top left, what the the carving of what's in it. Mm -hmm. It's it's it has to do with. um, Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I gotta, sorry please go ahead sorry cool. no you know another thing uh they would put seeds in this uh, and they would yield more like they oh, did, makes uh, perfect sense and um stonehenge because of the energy so maybe there's holes or something they could just set seeds in there but yes absolutely astronomical as well and those dolomites i think that's what they're called with those flat rock on top dolmens dolmen thank you very yep. much because uh, when you propagate it, when you propagate a gravity field, you also amplify the the growth of life and the recovery of living things of anything. Yes. yes. So you're talking limb regeneration from like the this. Blueprint. This is why I've said for many months now. When you tap anti gravity, you tap the other stuff too. Really? So another yes. question then would be: Is is there like a ley line location that's a lot of land that we can all go in on and buy? And just build some dope ass thing on there and make anti-gravity and hang out is all of the land, you know, I mean, is I, that a... I, I mean, Brandon, you know this already, but I mean, you don't, I mean, you don't need a ley line. You could do it in your house okay, for sure. a couple, couple, for a couple grand, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I hate to be that, that guy that says it and doesn't say how to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll shut up, please. So I keep mentioning these anchor points. And, and these are 
networks where the building, it's according to sacred geometry, that's a point of a golden proportion. So you see it with sacred sites, sacred constructions, um, the crossings, where you have cathedrals and different abbeys, you have different towers. That's another big thing in Europe are towers. Um, they were said to be a lot of times water towers, but they don't hold water. May I point out very kindly that each tower here, regardless if European American, notice that every tower tapers, just just like the like the oct the two to one octave ratio, like an obelisk. Yes. Yep. Now, what is the what is the intention behind that, Dave? I need a minute or two to think about it. Sorry. Okay. So one of the interesting things is you start seeing these different patterns of the way they built, and it's not a coincidence. Okay, so here you have eight Gothic cathedrals in France that reproduce the Virgo constellation. There's no way that's an accident or by chance. This is planned out. And, and one of the things that I in going through this stuff, have wondered, is the map above the same as the map below? So one of the things we run into, and, and I'm like two or three slides away from going showing you the different ley lines. One of my issues is there's no one set of ley lines. There's no one person that says, okay, here's the ley lines and this is how they run. Is it a grid? Is it a um, you know, a longitudinal latitudinal pattern, you can't get a concise answer on that. So one of the things I'm wondering is, is the map above or our sky also representative of the map down here? So if you do place these cathedrals on constellations, because one of the things we see is pyramids, all of the pyramid complexes are built in Orion's belt. Uh, layout, as well as if you go to New York, the World Trade Center site is also has buildings on the Orion's Belt uh, pattern. So you start seeing these patterns over and over, and it's not just by coincidence. So it gets us into different vortices. And this is where we were talking about before with the vortex. And, and this gets really interesting because it says that these different lines, when they intersect, they're going to form these vortex. And they say that most, a lot of the time, you're going to find the sacred sites are on these vortex points. And it says uh, you're likely to hear about like Stonehenge, uh, some of the places out west, or even like Angkor Wat, because these places are, according to these ley lines here, and, and again, this is one interpretation of the ley lines. So... This person says, okay, this is how I see the ley lines and that on certain points, you're going to find it. So now we move on and this is where I get into all sorts of my mind blows because down on the lower left, you have um, the flower of life. Uh, you have different patterns and these are all supposedly ley line patterns. And you look at the different varieties. Now you do tend to see some commonality with a grid and, and certain lines tend to match up on all of these, but you don't get a concise view. Um, there's even more here 
if I could say very quickly, if I may throw my two cents in, it's also been proposed. I'm not saying I I know, I I don't know at all, but it's been proposed. A couple things have been proposed. If one follows this alleged, uh, you know, theory of a pole shift every 12, 13,000 years, it's been proposed that the ley lines then change after the pole shift. There's been a lot of debate as to whether or not that pole shift is even supposed to occur uh, if it's natural or induced, but that's another conversation. The other thing is that there's been speculation that there have been deliberate disinformation or influence campaign uh, uh, operations that have put out deliberately fake locations of the ley lines for anyone that may want to inquire. So there's a, have you heard anything of that by chance or? I, I've heard of, of mass deception on these, that, that people put out fake maps, all sorts of stuff like that, that there was all sorts of deception and that there's no, and, and hence my confusion here, there's no one set of ley lines. You can't get any, you know, group of people to agree on it. Everybody has their own little interpretation of them. Two quick questions. Uh, is it confusing or the ley lines? I mean, because they are. There's no consistency. I agree with you. But is it possible, and I'm, I'm just going to be that guy here, that we're looking at it on a sphere, but actually if you flatten it out, it may make more sense. I'm just curious if you've overlaid those with the Asimov map just to see. Uh, and another thing was, is it's very interesting, like you said, the stars that reflect uh, the heavens above. And of course, that's very interesting because they don't change even though we're flying through the. But what about um, that? Perhaps I mean, and this is just, you know, me, I'll just throw the shit out there that because that was the Virgo constellation, that perhaps that marked a certain set of beings turf. It's sort of like pissing on your own territory to say, like, hey, we're in this area and whatever span that covers to form your energetic grid to make your people you're representing then maybe that's your area like orion like you said and orion the patterns also found like you said with the world trade centers in giza but also teotihuacan so there are other pyramidical complexes that mimic that exact constellation could they be sort of like repping the orion people you know what i mean If I could jump in on the first question, I would say that it is of my understanding that, and I'll explain what these mean in a moment, if the, with respects to, if we laid this out on a map, a flat one, would it be similar? It's actually a good question because if the, if the coordinates and the grids overlapping them are what's called Lorentz invariant, then yes, you'd be right. If they're Lorentz covariant, then, then they wouldn't be. Covariant is, invariant means that the, basically the, the, um, we could say that the, certain point or all basically frequency points and all points within a vector and all of the I get coordinates do not change under local transformation. So if the pole shift was the shift of the planet with no readjustment of the land and the dispersion of the land, then that would be the case. Now, Lorenz, uh, Lorenzian covariance is when it's this, the coordinates don't change under a transformation especially on what's called the Riemannian manifold, but they will change if there's some another variable or vector or coordinate that comes into play that's equal to the original one or greater. So I I think it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like on Pangea. Was there just like two ley lines? You know what I mean? Yeah. And they, did the ley lines move with the land or are they fixed on a grid in a spot on a sphere? And as the land moves and migrates, you have access to them or changes effect on the terrain and you have access to them so yes great question are they fixed or do they move around you know what i mean because maybe since people have been making these maps they've been in that spot but perhaps again they move and yeah maybe they move with the pole shift or something because that's a great point uh 
that you made earlier, Dave, with that, with the poles shifting, are the ley lines going to move too? And when we look at the vort uh, the vortex here in a minute, that's one of the things you'll see that that what they say about these twelve vortex is that they are equidistant. So as those poles shift, they're going to shift as well. So that's a, a another little interesting cog to throw in this mess of how do the ley lines work. So yeah, this is just another one. Uh, again, it's a lot of lines. They try and they show you some of the points that crisscross and how these sites across the globe or realm, whatever you want to say, intersect. Um, and, and again, I take this with a grain of salt because as we said before, it this could vary whether we're on a flat map or a round ball. It's going to have a difference. There's a lot of variabilities. Yeah. Just so many. Yeah. Or like Dave said, maybe it's only because that's where it's been tried. Maybe everybody can do this anywhere they are. Those are just where it's been happening at. You know what I mean? So perhaps there's no such literal things as ley lines. That's just where it's been. People have def tried it. And kind of like people who spend a lot of time, for example, not that I encourage this, but there have been cases where people who have spent a lot of time indoors, particularly in their basement, which is, again, closest to the earth in terms of grounding, have exhibited traits of what have been called telekinesis. Mm -hmm. uh, and the argument behind that is the biofield resonance was in such a confined area, area for so long that it literally emitted itself and stuck itself and uh, basically stuck itself and locked itself into the local matter of the walls and the ceiling and all of that sorry i said holy shit <laughs> this is it's very rare like you'd have to it, with respects to all the variables of what's in the what's being emitted from artificially these days you'd have to stay in a place for like months if not years on end a general spot and there was a, there were a couple guys that did this that i know the uh in the 80s the, the the pentagon uh picked up they found that their telekinetic capabilities were increased and amplified because these people were not leaving their house for months on end and staying in in a you know a five by five, whatever. Now that's not my thing personally, but <laughs> wow, yeah. Good luck with that. No yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so these are just more examples of, of the different possibilities. Again, even in America, we have a variety of different possibilities of ley lines. The one thing that you see consistently though, is there is something off the coast of Florida that is energetically hot and that is a guarantee and the, and the other one that you're going to find is um in mexico right just just south of arizona um in mexico you see that one over and over again um so All again I, I i love the idea like you said before brandon how do we how do we find one of these lines and you know buy some property on it and do some cool shit on it Build a big ass obelisk on that thing, you know. Build a huge statue of a dick, but it's all awesome, you know. <laughs> it. It's the coolest thing because we have good vibes, we have good intention, you know. We probably wouldn't do that. That'd be weird. But not to mention the dope, the obvious, the Colorado airport and the alleged base under it that connects to a whole city of underground, allegedly. Yeah. Yep. And and that's why I put this one on the left here because it says that Colorado is the center of these ley lines in uh, in America. So there's something significant to that area. It, is there something, because looking at the map on the left, is there something to where you could do a Fibonacci from any one of these positions and see if that correlates more than a straight line? I think so. That's a very yeah. good, I think so. Yeah. 
Well, because you would be taking it from its zero point of the yes. vectors. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I would say so. I think so too. Yeah, definitely. Now, here's what we were talking about before with these 12 vial vortices. And this was a guy named Ivan Sanderson who came up with this concept. And he says that vial vortices are areas on the Earth's surface which have naturally occurring anomalies due to the planet's natural EMF fields being stronger in these parts than anywhere else in the world. So the obvious one that you're going to think of is the Bermuda Triangle, right? Everybody's heard of that. And then he says that they're uh, supposed to be uh, spread in equally in 12 parts across the Tropic of Cancer, the Tropic of Capricorn, and the North and South Pole. So on this map, it looks crazy. And, and I'll show you another map where it makes a little bit more sense. I, lo I, I like this one a lot. Oh, honestly. I love it. This is yeah. just, it, it makes so much sense that how it would act this way. Since he, he says, since each vortex is spread equally across the world's surface, the entire collection of the vile vortices forms a geomagnetic, uh, geometric figure known as an ico, <laughs> icosahedron. And icosahedron is a geometric figure, which is a polyhedron uh, comprising of 20 plane faces. But the so the main reason for uh, each vortex of these 12 vortices is called vile because they cause events which hamper the routine course of one's life and thereby forcing the affected party to check out alternative measures, which are not as feasible as one would want them to be. So it's said to be due to emf disturbances caused by hot and cold air is is the science behind that and if anybody wants to look it up there's an article on it on stranger dimensions that he does a pretty good job breaking it down but here's the other map that i was going to show and this is more you see that how it's on these these lines and how they're all equidistant um you turn it sideways it kind of looks like the flower life yes right or the tree of life, my point. tree of life, yeah, and the DNA strand too, and, and Kabbalah, and yeah, you get yes. into all of it, oh. yeah. So, and these are the twelve different vortices. We don't have to go through all of them, but like we said, it's you know the Devil's Sea. You'll see the North and South Pole, Easter Islands on there. Um, you get the Dragon's Triangle up there too. Yes. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, over there by uh, New Zealand and Australia, way out there <clears throat> where nobody lives in the west side. And then you've got um, New Zealand out there as well, where, all the, where allegedly that continent used to be there and was underwater. And New Zealand, just like a mountain range that used to be connected to this huge freaking continent. That's awesome. And that's where that exact spot is. Crazy. Yep. Yeah, these are just, it, it's really cool. I don't know. And then you get into these, the, the ley lines. Right. And here's there, there's two lines. It's the Apollo St. Michael axis. So what we find here is a line that stretches from Ireland all the way to the Middle East. And what you find on here is there's uh, what is it here? You have the five sites that are on this that are uh, Mont St. Angelo in Italy. You have the they're all related to Michael or Michelle. Um, you have one in the Italian Alps, you have one in Normandy, France, you have one in Cornwall in the UK, and then you also have one in Ireland. But what's also interesting on this same line, you have Delos, which is Apollo's birthplace, you have Delphi, which is his main sanctuary, and then you have Athens, 
which is the center of the goddess Athena with Apollo's altar in the cave at the Acropolis. But then they also found two more. They found uh, what they call, it's, I, I came in, Kirkaira, and that's Corfu, which is the secret temple of Apollo, and then Rhodes also connects. So, and this is all on one line, and now it goes even further. Then you have monasteries that are on here. So you have seven monasteries that are on there, which is, it's just, it's very coincidental, we might say. Right. This, this is incredible work, by the way, man. This is, uh, this is fantastic. Oh, thanks. Here's another one. This one's in, in, in England. This is the, Brit uh, goes across Brittany. And this is the Mont St. Michel line. And this one has eight sites that are all dedicated to St. Uh, Michael. And they're all on hilltops. And it covers a 130-mile stretch. And what's interesting about all of them is to the east, they're aligned with uh, the rising sun on May 1st, which is the Celtic Feast of Beltane. And then on the west, they're aligned with the sun setting on November 1st, which is Samhain, which is the another Celtic feast. Notice, by the way, the picture on the right-hand side, if we take the entire uh, geometry there and we brought the, where it says, uh, where it says number one, Mont St. Uh, Michael or Mikhail, if we brought that, if we just flip that uh, 90 degrees, that would look like the, um, the, the Egyptian Ankh, as well as if we took the... Um, the top, uh, the St. Michael day brass parts, that particular line between the other two, if we, if we just added an arc to that, to then uh, an arc between that point and the center point of where it says cathedral, that's your, that's your Tesla oscillator and that's your Egyptian Ankh and that's your, all that stuff. So the, did they fall short of making it or was it destroyed and we only have those remnants left to see? Oh, I, who knows? I, yeah, that's a that's a million dollar question right there, were, Brandon. Were they yeah, man-made hills or were they natural formations? You said they were all on hilltops that made that formation right there. So were they all? Do you know if they were naturally made or um, man-made hills? The story is they're all natural. It's interesting that they're hills, nonetheless, because it speaks to this idea of the higher up one goes, the more um, before World War Two, the United States Navy and Army used to use helium balloons, I believe, and really bring them up high up because the helium would have an electrostatic, uh, we could say, phase effect, for lack of a better term, that would then take the electri electricity, the protons and the uh, electrons and bring it back down the shaft of that was holding the balloon. It was generating free energy arguably really yeah but again this i think this was before world war one I, I don't think two but one this was around the same time that the hindenburg went down the airships mysteriously disappeared you know the aero club the gravity the gravity club suddenly disappeared this goes into that speculation of was there a branch off of our you know ancestors perhaps right so yeah yeah, the Sonora Era Club, all those uh, eighteen mid 1800, 1867 to eighteen sixty six, whatever those sightings. Yeah, I've there's even that. a letter from Washington in the seventeen hundreds where he said if the Confederacy had the airships, they would have lost. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I, I have the letter; it's just on my other computer, but I can get it. For, I can send it to you guys after this. That's um, so cool. It also, I mean, if you type in U.S. Navy airships and all of that on Wik, like if you check Wikipedia, um, like deliberately it doesn't really say what happened to them. It just says they were a thing and that's it. 
Yeah, and then they that's were gone. The that's the thing yeah. with Hindenburg too, though, is that was all sort of a psyop, you know, with the helium and all that stuff. That that's not really what they were using. They put helium in a few and blew them up because they they wanted to discredit the idea. Yes, together. And, it's I would, like and what else did they want to do, Brandon? They wanted to get that. Who has a monopoly on helium nowadays? Right. NASA. Yeah. Right. right? And they're the biggest. They're the biggest harvester of helium on the planet. Yeah. Yep. So well, it's, it was one of those where it just conveniently worked out. Well, I, I, I think hydrogen, helium, argon, all of that basically is, is yeah. Yep. Yeah, and Matt, dude, these are crazy cool maps, dude. Crazy cool information. Yeah, beautiful work. This is great work. I was, I did want to ask before you go on, Matt, um, if it would be possible, say in the next five, 10 minutes to wrap it up. And I only say it because we've been going for just over an hour and my audience is, you're so uh, content heavy with the depth. I want to make sure they can absorb it. And then we can do perhaps a part two if that works for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll wrap it here in. I got. I'll, I'll do two more slides. I'll get us through obelisks, and then sure, we'll, uh, sure. we'll we'll clip it off here. Thank you. So, what I wanted to show here, this map is really cool because this is showing the the Saint Michael's alignment, but what it's also showing are the different currents because there's two lines here. In fact, what they say they say there's the Saint Michael's line, but there's also a Saint Mary line, and so you'll see that the the dotted line here is the Saint Mary line that follows and they and they kind of go like a current wave in and out and they cross down the whole line which Dave when you were talking before uh, you know it just it brought this to my mind and I'm like oh this is it this is that crossing current that that DNA strand that you were talking about right yep this is this is I love this yeah yeah that's that so, oh Oh, this is another one. This is the St. John's Baptist pyramid. So again, center point is the obelisk. And at each of these endpoints of this pyramid, it just so happens to be a cathedral by the name of St. John. And it's again, wow. it, it's amazing. And this is, this is from anyone that wants to look at this anymore. Go, uh, it's the sacred network by Chris Hardy. It's a really interesting book and she has some good diagrams like this and the Telluric one we were looking at before um, some great work over there, but this, again, you, you start looking at it, you see the, the, the shape, the pattern, the layout. It's, it, it's not by accident. No, no, I don't, I don't think so at all. Um, if I don't know if Brandon wanted to jump in, but I did want to get to at least one of my members' questions for uh, for Matt. Um, but I, I mean, this can apply to both you guys. Uh, Fruit of uh, Fruit of the Loon says, um, "Is there any correlation between placement and key locations on the planet?" I think that us dis doing this recording itself perhaps answered that. Um, but any possibility or evidence in your research mat on substructures or anything being built beneath these ley lines underground well what you find is that i haven't really dug into the underground a whole lot but what you find is you see that they take these buildings and say it was a gnostic uh place of worship before the catholics come in they just take the place they put all the relics in the basement and then they you know splash some holy water on it and it's theirs now so uh, you see this and even if they destroy it they will rebuild and if they can they try and use the old foundation like at Baalbek. Gotcha. like, like, like ball, sorry ball back, 
Baalbek, have you ever seen that? Those yes. huge stones, and then I think uh, the Romans came in and just built a cathedral on top of it, uh, yep. like a bunch of pillars on top. But those base stones, that's why Baalbek is so interesting. And then you see this in Mesoamerican cultures all the time with the wall building techniques. Wow. Where they just yeah, so I, I mean, and here's just spot. three examples real quick. In France, you have uh, Chartres was built over a Druid shrine. You have Notre Dame uh, de Paris was built over a temple to Isis or the Roman goddess Diana. And then you have the St. Sulpice Church, which was built above a temple to Isis. Holy so crap. you will see that, that they they love and I, I have a video clip here. I'll play next time that they she talks about that, that basically they they have been told to oh, actually I have it right here. Um in June 1601, Pope Gregory wrote to uh, Abbot Melitus as he prepared to leave for England. I have come to the conclusion that the temples of the idols in England should not on any account be destroyed. Augustine must smash the idols, but the temples themselves should be sprinkled with holy water and altars set in them in which the relics are to be enclosed. I hope the people, seeing their temples are not destroyed, will leave their idolatry and yet continue to frequent the places as formerly, so coming to know and revere the true God. Hmm. So wow. it's, uh, where is it right here? The Catholic authorities therefore provided instructions to build churches on exact spots where ancient temples and megaliths stood and in practicality to cover them. They should not be destroyed and the order of the Pope specifies this three times. times. And he says, so, we cannot exclude an ulterior uh, spiritual, if not occult motive. And the etymology of occult simply means to hide. Yeah. Hidden. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That which is not. Seen. And that's it. So, yeah. Wow. Well, that sounds more like a, a psychological thing for the people rather than an energetic reason for maintaining it. I think. Well, I wonder if the psychology of the intent is what maintains the energy. I, I'm with you, yeah. Dave. Yeah, that's that's where I would go, because if we, for example, if we look at the idea or we consider the possibility that mass consciousness effectuates what we call matter, it, it would make sense to bring things, no pun intended, full circle with respects to having to continue a belief in something while that belief itself is by definition what props up the matter. Yeah. It's just interesting that they're like, ah, leave them because they'll still come here, even though it's just to worship something different. Right. Like, um, it's like when a restaurant changes owners, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to change the theme. It's going to be pizza now instead of burgers, but people will still come here because it's close to work. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, it's like when, when an NFL team leaves town and then a new yes. team comes in five years later, they're, they're going to go root for that team yeah. because it's their town, you know, it's their hometown. And I, yeah, that's how I look at it too. I think it was kind of a, a subversive thing too, to keep the, the population at ease to say, okay, guys, we're not going to come in and change everything. You can still have your building, but we're going to change the ownership. We're going to come in with some new ideas here and you're all going to buy into it. Well, that this, speaks to today, even same concept, different label of, yep. of everything. Yeah, this is this is everything. And real quick here and and I'll, uh, we'll run. But uh, my wife and I picked up uh, we do weird shit. We just picked up a thing of sugar cane juice yesterday at the store. Have you guys ever heard of this? It's a small little maybe six yes. ounce little bottle. OK, now what's interesting is you look at pure sugar cane juice. We looked it up. We're like, ah, oh, fuck it. We'll just try it. You look up what it does and it cures. It's like it cures diabetes. It cures acne. It does all it cures all of the things that we're told sugar causes. Right. 
And so what's interesting is in its raw form, natural like that, it doesn't. But the apprehension of it, our cane sugar and the processed shit does. It does the exact opposite of the benefits that it did in nature. So what's interesting is this, and Matt, you could title a whole presentation under new management about how all of these places have been apprehended from the old idea and really just like the grounding and the spires torn down so that it breaks the current you know they snap the resistor off so it doesn't function properly they take the batteries out and so this whole under new management idea that it's all just been apprehended but really there's something still beautiful there now the hope in that is that it can be re-apprehended reapprehended sort of like if you look at the obelisks and you they seem to be similar to like a pendulum necklace crystals it's almost as if perhaps what if one added another side of that pendulum to complete both ends like underneath yes like yes yep. okay See, well and that's yeah. what's amazing about dc the but one, even the on the obelisk in dc is right. 555 feet above ground but then it's 111 feet below ground two to, huh. is that a two to one no no, no, no. It'd be no, a no. five to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What is the, well, what if there's something under that? What if we're only told that it goes that, but it really Well, remember, two to one, one, two to one is just the base that you got to build off of. After that, you can keep building as long as it's within the two to one ratio. Oh, so whatever scale. It's yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's what I was asking about the height and the, and the, and the site, which is why the smaller um, dolomite, dolomites. Uh, those little buildings, those little stones, they still have the same effect, even though they're not massive and huge. People just sort of condense in a smaller area because it throws a smaller field. The two to so one is just ratio. Right. The two to one is just the start. You yeah. can build from there. Yeah. Yeah. So even though it's not as tall, it'll throw, you know, a, a field in a certain thing in a certain area. But that's the question is like, what's the ratio? Like if I stick a, a stone in my backyard, how tall does it need to be to cover my property? Kind of a thing. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I love exactly. this, man. dude. You're you blow. And Dave, good con. Cut it. Off. I can't. I got to integrate, man. I, I get. <laughs> <to work up. laughs> well, I, I did want to say not to put you on the spot, Matt, but I you're more it. than welcome if you like to do same time next weekend, same day, same time, or you know, keep that if you're not busy. But we can chat after the recording is over. Um, but I would like to give my audience. I'm just gonna quit the uh, the screen sharing here just to. Um, give the opportunity for you to let my audience know where and how you could be found because you do incredible work. I want them to check uh, check your stuff out. Oh, thank you. I, guys, I appreciate it. I love coming on your show and talking with you all. It, Dave, your perspective, man, it, it just blows my mind every time. So Thanks. I love bringing I love bringing this to you because you don't think like any of my friends. So it, it's a whole thank new perspective to this stuff. And, and I've got a you know, five or six things I'm going to go look up now based on what you've told me. Sweet. But you guys, sweet. you guys can find me at the Great Deception Podcast. Uh, I hang out on Instagram mainly. Uh, my podcast is on all the feeds. You can find some of my videos on YouTube. All of my videos are up on patreon.com slash Great Deception Podcast. Um, and, you know, feel free to reach out to anybody, you know, DM me anytime on Instagram. I respond to just about everyone as long as you're polite and not right. a total asshole. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. As, as, I, I get enough of those. Yeah. Um, Brandon, please, uh, where and how you could be found as per usual. ExpandingRealityPodcast.com. Make it nice and easy on all y'all. And thanks again, Matt. This was amazing. Dave, of course, just... I mean, this every, was great, every, guys. Every time we all get together, it's mind blowing. So, one hundred percent. I'm going to cut the recording, but I'll stay hey, on the call so we where, can schedule where, where, our next. Uh... For my for my folks, where can you be found, brother? 
Oh, thank you. Uh, Patreon.com slash Generation Z, Generation Z, Z-E-D podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and YouTube, um, as well as DaveZ.Substack.com for, I do every week or every other week, I do a Substack for the people that like to read, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, dude. This was amazing. Thanks, Matt. This is incredible. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you, guys. It's about total control, mental, physical, spiritual, every way, shape, form possible. You have to remember how big of a conspiracy this is. This isn't talking about just the JFK thing or isn't talking about just 9-11. It's on an umbrella kind of system to where it is the biggest deception that there is. It actually exposes every other deception and nothing else brings down the power of the elite because it really exposes education, science, the economy, television, museums, universities. Think of all the things that have been fooled. I feel worse for the people that are out there building satellites, the people that are out there actually working for these space agencies, the people out there teaching in schools as professors, because they would all come to the conclusion eventually, once this gets out, that they've all been contributing to the lie.